wow, that was a full morning already. I'm glad I'm not preaching and Randall is. Lord help him, right? <laughs> hey, I want to introduce Randall Worley for anyone who may not know him. I've known Randall since the 80s. He's a really good friend. Uh, but in, the, I'd say, the last 10 or so years, Randall's become a friend of this church. And he's really started coming to our church really when we were kind of on the downhill side. You know, it's like life. You you have amazing times in the Lord, and then you have valley times. And that's when we first, Randall first started coming here, and he's, he kept coming. So come on, Randall. Thank you so much. And th- yeah, thank you for being a... a- a personal friend, a real faithful man of the Lord, and uh, also a friend of our church, and just, you know, being willing to come here and love on us. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Good morning. Always good to see you. The worship was um, just a 10, okay? Shouldn't have said just a 10. It was, it was a 10. Don't you agree? Yeah, and I, I do... Um, agree with what Byron said that what follows may be anticlimactic. No, that's fine. No, that's mine. I trust. Yeah, trust me. Yeah. If you don't trust me with anything else, trust me, that one's mine. Uh, Turn with me, if you will, to Mark's gospel in chapter six. The gospel of Mark, chapter six. And while you're finding your place, I'll begin reading in verse 45. Uh, There's a few things I'd like to say to segue into what I want to be sharing with you this morning. Uh, It may sound like strong language, but I really believe that it is an insult to God for us to be influenced or swayed by what our leaders are or not doing these days. Before there was ever a democracy that gave us a voice as people, there was a theocracy. And this theocracy resides in the creator, the ruler, the sovereign, the one who created the entire universe. And I think that we are returning that, you know, before... Before men in their feeble attempts in writing constitutions attempted to interpret the intentions of God, God had another and a better idea. And I was reading the other day and felt like it summed up what I just said in the Passion Translation of Psalm 2, verses 3 through 4. It says... um, (laughs) You know, especially when it seems like these guys are losing their minds, why are we losing ours? You know, you you sense that? How dare the nations plan a rebellion? Their foolish plots are futile. Look at how the power brokers of the world rise up to hold their summit as rulers scheme and confer together against Yahweh, his anointed king, saying... Let's come together and break away from the creator. Once and for all, let's cast off these controlling chains of God and his Christ. God enthroned merely laughs at them. The sovereign one mocks at their madness. Thank you. I thought there'd be a few of you that I might resonate with. 
I think a lot of people right now are probably questioning, you know, the saying, every storm runs out of rain and every dark night turns into day. I know I've been questioning that. Some of you are old enough uh, to remember that it was President Roosevelt that coined this phrase, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And he said that obviously in an economic climate that was on the verge of total collapse, what we would refer to Great Depression. And so this uh, phrase is very well known in our culture, in our history. We have nothing to fear but fear itself. But I would take a little bit of disagreement with the beloved Roosevelt. Uh, I think that we need to realize that fear really has, in these days, revealed our displaced faith. It's revealed to us something about us concerning where our faith has been all along. You know and have heard it so many times that it's worn smooth with familiarity that the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One. I'm not talking about being terrorized by God, but I'm talking about what it is that we focus on and what we give real respect to. I probably said it on previous visits, but I think it fits well right here, and I'm about to read my text, is that, you know, today there are words that are overused and misused, even abused, such as the word awesome. And I don't want you to feel condemned by that, but, you know, we just overuse this adjective that's awesome, right? That is amazing. In my opinion, and I check myself on this on a regular basis, uh, the only one who is worthy of that particular adjective is the Lord of heaven, really. And uh, so, you know, it seems that what I am experiencing, and you probably are too, that we're living in a time where people would, uh, they prefer a satisfying untruth over a satisfying truth. And so now I'm going to read to you this text. You probably are very well familiar with it. In verse 45, it is in the wake of Jesus performing the miracle of the multiplying of the loaves and fishes. In verse 45, it says, And he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up into a mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. 
And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. I want to talk to you in the time that I have remaining here about this particular topic. This is no time to lose your mind. Uh, Look at somebody and say that this is no time. This is no time to lose your mind. Now, the Sea of Galilee, I'm not going to assume anything about your understanding of this particular body of water. The Sea of Galilee was relatively small. It was only eight miles wide and 13 miles long. Uh, At its deepest depth, it's, it's only maybe 250, 300 feet deep. It's 700 feet below sea level. At the northern part of its shores, it's surrounded by what we refer to today as the Golan Heights. These mountains reach altitudes of 2,500 to 3,000 feet. So to refer to it as a sea seems an inappropriate thing to call it because it's a relatively small body of water. The Lake, Lake Norman is nine miles wide and 33 miles long. So this really does not seem to be a body of water that would qualify for being called a sea. But in my opinion, the reason why it was referred to as a sea was because of its unpredictability. What I just described to you, these mountains that hovered high above it, cold winds would descend in an unexpected way on a normally placid body of water and send it into upheaval. Waves sometimes churning and heaving up as high as 10, 15 feet high. And these seasoned mariners had been in storms before. These guys had, you know, they were not unfamiliar with storms, but if you read the other accounts of this particular episode, you recognize that this was not your normal storm. The sea is absolutely convulsing. And I'll say, Mark tells us that when Jesus saw them there in that particular predicament, it appears that he allowed at least three to four hours to lapse with them in that dilemma. Remember, he, he is urging them not because he is unaware of what is getting ready to unfold. He's urging them to go ahead, get in the boat. It's almost like I have this sense in my imagination that he is, he himself, once they all get into the boat, he shoves them off. And it is evening. And as they are now experiencing that last shove onto the Sea of Galilee and the image of Jesus they see is growing faint and they see him walking back up toward the mountain. They're not entirely sure of what he's getting ready to transpire. Uh, In my mind's eye, the water was probably lapping up against the side of the boat and they were all looking at one another and reflecting upon this remarkable miracle that they had just witnessed where Really, about 25,000 people have been fed. I'm sure, you know, a lot is left to the imagination when we read these accounts in the Gospels that, 
You know, what were they thinking? What were they talking about as they were reflecting on that, all of that? But then it says something happens, as I've been describing to you, and it happens in the fourth watch of the night. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with the way that they segmented time in those days. But this would have been between three and six o'clock in the morning. So Jesus, with intention, deliberately watches them from this perspective on the mountain while they are, as is described in the verse of scripture here in verse 48, they are making headway painfully for the wind was against them. Some of the older translations say that the wind was contrary to them. And I've always found it interesting that, you know, he's watching this unfold, he's looking at it, and he is doing nothing about it, or it would seem that he's totally indifferent to the situation. I'm sure that there's none of you have gone through protracted seasons where it appears that you are about to capsize, that you're taking on water financially, mentally, emotionally, relationally. You are too far out from where you started to turn around and go back. And even if you did, you would not be able to navigate your way back because of all the disorientation that you are in in that moment. The, the implication is, is they can't even see where they started. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? They're not quite sure. And you know, often what happens with most of us is we come to the wrong conclusions in those moments. This had to be something that I did. I deserve this. Am I talking to the right people this morning? But it was Jesus in a sense of urgency that had shoved them into it. They were not aware of what was getting ready to happen as the sea is convulsing. But Jesus was fully aware. The thing to me that is probably one of the most important takeaways from this entire passage, which by the way, have you ever noticed when we go to a particular text as I have this morning that we often refer to it as a passage? Why is it that we refer to it as a passage? Because this is a word, at least in our language, describes a place, a transitional place. It describes a place where you're leaving one area going into another. Well, that's profound. That's, that's rather obvious, isn't it? But they didn't understand the nature of this particular passage or transition. And it happens again, as I said, between three and six in the morning. By now, my calculation is that they very possibly could have been in this convulsive storm for almost nine hours. And he's just watching it. Like you, I'm, pro I'm wondering myself, how long are you going to allow the conditions, the climate. How, long, how much longer? 
I mean, how many times do I hear people, I feel this question all the time, and I'm sure you do. I do almost every week. When do you think there's going to be a reset? When do you think there's things are going to go back to normal? Maybe what we had experienced prior to this was not normal at all. The big takeaway here, as far as I'm concerned, though, is perspective. Because Jesus had an entirely different perspective. And he had already resolved and settled in his mind. Because remember what he told them? Go to Bethany or Bethsaida. Go to Bethsaida. I love the prophecy of Isaiah, and I've been leaning on it, leaning into it very heavily in the last few days. In Isaiah 46, it says, he declares the end from the beginning. We're always wondering about how things are going to turn out, but he declares the end from the beginning. You will get up tomorrow morning to start a day in order to finish it so that you can get up the next day to start a day to finish it. But this is not the mode and manner in which God operates. He doesn't start things to finish it. He finishes it, then he starts it. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end and everything in between. If time would permit me, and it certainly won't, and I want to respect your time, we could go back in the Old Testament and, and see instances where in the fourth watch of the night, between three and six in the morning, in the darkest time of night, very possibly when they shoved off, it was a cloudless sky, and the, the, the stars looked like diamonds sprinkled on black velvet. But just in a few hours, there is, these, there is deep, dark cloud cover. And it's raining down on them and coming up. The bottom is dropping out and the top is falling in. There's an implosion and an explosion all at the same time. Do you get the picture? And then what happens? He waits, and then he decides, I'm going to take a walk. <laughs> and I hope it doesn't seem trite to you, but I really do believe, and maybe in your own personal existential valleys, you have come to understand that those things that are tumultuous to us are the things that he comes walking on to get to us. There's not a person in this room that is immune from these kinds of soul storms, financial storms, relational storms, mental storms. They come in a, in a variety of different ways, don't they? And when they first see him, what do they say? They're terrified. Is he a ghost? You know, see, I think a lot of our superstitions are surfacing right now because we have allowed, like these men, our imaginations to take hold of us rather than us taking hold of our imaginations. We're in a time right now, I'm convinced that we are going to have to start 
seeing what we believe rather than believing what we see. All of our rhetoric about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's not up there, out there somewhere. It is not beyond the scope of the Hubble telescope. No, the kingdom of God, Jesus continually tried to convince people was a present reality. The kingdom of God, I don't have, again, time to explore all of its implications, but to put it in a very elementary sense, the kingdom of God is an alternative reality. It's an alternative reality. This was excruciatingly real to these men as the storm that we're in right now is excruciatingly real. And we can allow our imaginations as it did with them to think of the worst because there's probably not a one of us in here that is not pretty proficient in finding a problem in every solution. So we choose to live in our minds rather than in our life. I hope you heard what I just said. Because the way you see things are not the way they are. It's just the way you see them. Right now, terror, some, you know, some form of terror seems to be coming from every direction. We can't allow, like they did their imaginations, just to begin to spawn all these ridiculous notions. I posted this past week, and I was, when I was writing this, I thought, I'm probably going to get a lot of blowback on this one. I titled it, Am I a Hopeful Heretic? Does it make me a hopeful heretic? Really, does it make me a hopeful heretic that I choose not to get on the bandwagon and to get into this echo chamber where a lot of followers of Jesus are saying that we are heading headlong into Armageddon? Does it make me a heretic to believe that there is an alternative Does it make me a heretic to realize that even the prophets of the Old Testament have been really wrongly cast as all prophets of doom, when in reality, in all of the situations they found themselves in, they exercised an imagination that could see something that was hopeful rather than something that was dismal? You know, where are the prophetic voices? I mean, I want to say that again. You know, there are a lot of people when they read the Old Testament in particular, they think all the, all the prophets were prophets of doom. I would argue with you on that. These men begin to emerge with a different way of seeing things. This is what we need now. This is, this is the, the kind of prophet or seer that we need now. When Jesus, when they finally are, you know, are 
You know, I have to imagine they must have been going from flashes of light when they can see things clearly. And then when there's not flashes of lightning, then things go dark again. Then there's a flash of lightning, they see, and it goes dark again. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? But you know what that does? I mean, when you get my age, during the night, you seldom sleep through the night. If you do, it's a stellar night. And all of my brethren nod. I thought about this the other night. It's about three o'clock in the morning. I wake up. I'm, I, I can't believe I'm talking about this. <laughs> Extremely vulnerable and awkward moment. It's three o'clock in the morning. I'm sleeping so good and I wake up. Oh gosh, I gotta go. Maybe you're not like me, some of you guys. I lay there and I think, maybe the urge will go away. Because I'm sleeping so good. Is that, is that too much information? But sure enough, without fail, I have to get up. And I've been lying there and when I open my eyes in a pitch black room, which my wife insists on the temperature being about 67 degrees, while she's emanating 102 degrees, I get up and sit up on the side of the bed and I'm waiting for my eyes to adjust. And I can't tell you how many times, and I know this, how many steps there are. I've been to this room many times where I take care of this business. And I wake up and I walk like this. One of the reasons why I do that was a few weeks ago, I got up and she had left the bathroom door halfway open. <laughs> Bam! It's three in the morning. I yell and say some pretty choice words. She comes out of a deep sleep. What on earth? I said, you left the door open. About knocked me out. Now the reason why I took that little detour is because the other day I was realizing all of us right now, because you know what happens involuntarily when you, when you walk out into the dark, your eyes, the pupil opens as wide as it possibly can in search of the faintest amount of light. Right now, I think that we're getting our eyes wide open. We're learning, really, more than ever before, not 
in the way that we've glibly referenced it and quoted it, we're learning to walk by faith and not by sight. Which, by the way, I meant to mention this earlier, if I didn't already, that there was in this room earlier, Seth, there was in this room an increased and intensified atmosphere of faith. If, you, if, if that wasn't obvious to you, I feel for you. It was here. So maybe we're in the fourth watch of the night right now. Maybe we are. I tend to believe that we are. And he's probably going to appear to us in ways that are absolutely foreign to what we have previously expected. While we're waiting on things to come to an end, he has a new beginning in mind. It is certainly true that some things that are really, really good have to fall together so better things can come together. Some really good things have to fall apart so really much better things can come together. So when they finally get focus, you could use some of that, right? When they finally get some focus and they see that it's him, love the way he responds. Don't be afraid, it's, it is I. Even the best translations, I don't think, entirely get it as it happened. Take heart, it is I. This is the language we were first introduced to when Moses is faced with this daunting task of going and confronting Pharaoh. Well, who should I say has sent me? And it's uh, the response of the Lord was confounding then and equally confounding now. And he said, uh, you tell him, I am. Tell him I am. This is essentially what Jesus said. He didn't say it is I. He said, I am. (laughs) Doesn't make any difference what is as long as we know that he says, I am. And in the book of John, there's seven I am's. Don't tempt me to take you there with all of them. (laughs) But it would really behoove you to do that, to see in the midst of all of the deprivation and all of the devastation and all of the desperation, he remains I am. And as long as I can, as long as I can take hold of that, which has taken hold of me before anything tragic or traumatic ever happened to me, as long as I can do that, as long as you can do that, then you come to this higher level of consciousness where you realize before anything comes to pass, He says, I am. We forget when we're in the thick of things 
that uh, we live in time, but God doesn't live in time. That's why he is, I am. That's why he said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, 8. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. Revelation chapter 1. I'm the beginning and the end and everything in between. We live in time. God doesn't live in time. God lives in eternity. He just manifests his purposes in time because time is nothing more than an island in the ocean of eternity where he manifests those purposes. Because he, he initially had a purpose, didn't he? Go ahead now. Bon voyage. Shoves them off. I'll see you in Bethsaida. <laughs> I hope you've gotten some perspective. I hope it will somehow recalibrate the way you pray because it's recalibrating the way that I pray. Because unfortunately, most of us have assumed that prayer is us informing God of our present clear and present danger. When that never has been prayer, prayer is a greater reality that he is inviting us into. It's the mountain that he came off of as he's looking down on it, watching it. And he's waiting. I really think he's waiting till we get as they were totally exhausted. Because when we get totally exhausted, when we, when we run out of resources or in the book of Psalms, it says, you know, in very poetic language that men will come to their wits end. Anybody sense that? Men are coming to their wits end. And in the midst of that, that's where he comes walking upon what is trying to drown us. See, to some people, that may be some fanciful way, you know, fantasizing. But no, I, I believe this reality is a greater reality. Uh, I, you know, I'm to the point where I'm weary of the spin doctors. I'm weary of the fear mongers. I'm anybody else. I've had just enough. In fact, I'm getting a little nauseated by it. Like these guys were probably nauseated by what they were caught in. You know, they've. They've lost their lunch and they're losing their minds. And I promise you, as I started out, this is no time to lose your mind. Why don't you stand? share this with you in closing with four minutes remaining I've said this in so many different ways this morning but I think the feelings of fatalism are really it's like an airborne disease I mean uh, fatalism is the lazy man's way of accepting the inevitable When we're losing our grip, we need reminding God who is the creator 
has a plan for renewal of all creation and he refuses to let it go. Come on. See, to me, the reason why this is so important, and I'm sure that will be encouraging to a number of you to find hope for the world and for our kids and grandkids, we must find that God himself is hope. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm still thinking about my sons and how they're raising their my precious grandchildren. And I just refuse to take the lazy way out and lack imagination and allow, allow the culture itself to just suck me in like a vortex. God himself is hope. When we feel like that we are losing hope, God is hoping for us in us. It's just like, you know, you think faith is something that you summon, something that you conjure. Oh, no. Even the faith that you have, he initiates it. He is the instigator of it. And if you have any hope right now, it's because he is our hope who is hoping in us before we had the ability to hope. I don't care how much a crisis of confidence there is you know, with political leaders. I, I, I get it. It, it, it. What it's doing is pushing our confidence back into him. So it's no time to lose your mind. Father of heaven and earth, creator of everything that is good, reveal yourself more vividly now than ever before in the chaos and in the darkness. Show us purpose in the pain because as it's been said, we can endure any how if we have a why. Give us meaning in the midst of it all. We refuse, we say this with as much faith as we can summon in this moment, which comes from you, the source of all faith. We refuse to become cynical. Anybody need to repent for becoming cynical? Am I the only one? I got both hands up. Lord, give us an infusion this morning of hope. that releases us from the cynicism that is trying trying to take grip of our very minds and souls. Thank you, Lord, that you are going to make all things new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much. I hope I've helped somebody this morning. That was a great word, wasn't it? Yeah. So let's uh, have an offering for, for Randall. Why don't you sit down? I heard a preacher one time say, if you're going to take up an offering, make everybody sit down because you always get more money. <laughs> it's true. He tried it. So I want you to ask the Lord how much you should give him. You can do the, the online thing also, you know, because we can give online to our, and it'll special speaker. 
or you can do the old-fashioned way, or you can go on the website. All of it will go to Randall. So come on over here, Dave and uh, Tommy, and thank you for Randall. Lord bless him. Bless his penny. Randall, thank you for uh, inviting us into your night time. <laughs> I know a lot of guys in this room can relate to that. So bless the offering. We'll receive the offering, and then we'll, we'll have some people come up if you want more prayer. Okay, so let's go ahead and do the offering. Thank you, Lord. Ooh, today was a good day, right? Yeah, the Lord's good, isn't he? Wow, so much. I feel like I'm overflowing with, like, uh. <laughs> yeah, that was a word in season, I would say, for many of us. Yay. God is good. He is very good. Yes, he is. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to to seal this word in our hearts and help us to re- remind us that in these moments when we hear the insanity that we hear and the crazy stuff that we hear and the stuff we are not sure about. We just ask you to help us know that you sent them out into that storm, but you told them where they were going and you have, you're waiting on us. You're going to be there for us. Lord, I pray we are in that fourth watch. I pray it's time for you to come walking on the water and get us where do we need to go. We ask you for that, Lord. We thank you that you're a good God. You're a faithful God. Thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Bless all of you. Uh, can I get two or three people up from the ministry team, just in case anybody wants prayer? I know we've been doing a lot of ministry this morning, but get a couple more of you guys and gals up here. If anybody wants to come up and receive more prayer, uh, that would be great. Otherwise, you're free to go in the name of Jesus, and we'll see you soon.